You're listening to Sermon Audio from Waynesboro Grace. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples making disciples. For more information about our church, you can find us online at waynesborograce.org or on Facebook at Waynesboro Grace. morning, Grace, and uh, it's good to be with you again, whether in your living room or somewhere in your house, maybe, you know, driving somewhere down the road, hopefully safely if you're tuning in to this. But nevertheless, for us to spend time together looking at God's Word, asking God to help us make sense of what He has said And how that applies to our lives today is always time well spent. And Lord willing, we have that opportunity here this morning together. And what I want to do today is I actually want to take a break from thinking about some of the metaphors of agriculture that we've been looking at in this series. And I want to to step away from that this morning and look at with you what I believe the scriptures give us in regards to our response in the midst of turmoil and calamity. Uh, we're in the midst of that. And, and, and my just general observation at this point is that, uh, in, in large respect, that the physical turmoil and calamity of um, hundreds of thousands of people potentially becoming um, infected and even dying from COVID-19 um, is, is giving way a little bit to the political, social, cultural, economical, emotional calamity that is uh, emerging and emerging with a vengeance. And so in in some ways, a physical enemy is a little harder or a little easier, I should say, um, to to engage with because um, if you're sick, we just kind of know how to practice good behavior in that regard. But if you're not sick and there's cultural and societal and emotional and economic pressure that happens and you couple into that political stuff as well, um, that feels like a whole different ballgame. And The scriptures give us some indicators of how we can engage in that. And Jesus predicted that things would become even more tumultuous as time moved from when he was with his disciples and and, and, and we get closer and closer to the rapture. And then the, the tribulation is a heightened and increased outpouring of all of those things. And then the millennial kingdom preceding the new heavens and the new earth, we should expect and not be surprised whatsoever by an increase in turmoil and calamity. But we're also given some really helpful, really helpful commands on how we're to respond. And so as we look at Matthew 24 together this morning, there Jesus is going to be answering his disciples Uh, And the question they asked him about, when when are you coming back? When are all these things that you just told us going to happen? What's the sign we should be looking for? And he gives them events to observe, but he gives them commands to obey. And I think for you and I, the very same thing should be true 
today that we have the opportunity to observe events, but we also have commands that we've been given to obey. So let me just try to illustrate that here for a moment with you. Uh, I've seen articles in the last six weeks written by believers where there's been the suggestion made that the government is secretly deploying airplanes to spray COVID-19 in the atmosphere. I've seen suggestions by believers that, that the new 5G cell phone towers being constructed are somehow broadcasting something that contains the virus in it. I've seen articles by believers saying that um, we should be expecting mandatory RFID chip implants, and that's a sign of the end times that's coming in a new world government, and, and, and it just kind of moves and rolls on from there. I, I actually read an article by Apple regarding Apple's software, and I'm actually a little bit more concerned about this one than even the, the microchip. Um, but the next round of software coming to our iPhones contains the ability for Bluetooth interaction with other individuals and the alerting if you've come close to somebody who may have been exposed or may have been a carrier or infected at one point. Um, that that kind of stuff is interesting to say the least. And that, if you will, came from the horse's mouth. That's a feature being touted and celebrated. And so I, I, I'm not necessarily that concerned about microchips as I am the cell phone, perhaps, that's in my pocket. But nevertheless, these are examples of just things that, that we find right now in the midst of our world that can be unsettling and can cause some worry, some fear, perhaps even distraction from where our focus and attention should be. Uh, I've read misleading news headlines that were designed to incite an emotional response in me that had nothing to do with the actual article that was written. I don't know if you've observed this yet, but it's coming and it's only going to increase the ugliness of this next round of elections is upon us. And it's just going to get worse. I'm already weary thinking about what it is that we're going to have put in front of us. Whether it's watching TV, whether it's looking at Facebook, whether it's in the news, wherever it might be. I'm already weary thinking about what 2020 elections are going to look like if they resemble anything like 2016. And is that something that's... The sign of the end times, is that something for us to get all frightened and unsettled and worried about? I, those are good questions. They're worth asking. But more than anything, what, what compelled me to take a break and a step away from where we have been was over the last week or so, I've had more questions and conversations about this reality of the turmoil and the calamity and where it fits in God's story and our response to these things than I've had in quite some time. And it felt like an appropriate moment to ask the scriptures what our response should be in light of all that is happening. And I think Jesus has some incredibly important and helpful things for us. 
So before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll get into Matthew 24 together, and we'll observe the events Jesus told his disciples to look for, but then I also want us to note the commands he told his disciples to obey, because you and I find ourselves in that same position. It's not wrong to observe, but we've been commanded to obey, and Jesus gives us some clear instructions to follow. So let's pray. God in heaven, we ask that you would help us make sense of what you have said. God, each week when we do this, we, we, we do so and we, we, we draw near because we believe that you have spoken. And it's in our best interest to listen. And so God, we, we want to be listeners. We want to be those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and minds that understand and, and hearts that believe and so, God, we, we ask that you would meet with us in a special way, that those things may be true, that you, would, that you would come and your spirit would work in our midst and in our hearts and our homes, wherever it is that we're watching this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time of day it might be. God, help us to see what it is you want us to see to believe what it is you want us to believe, and to follow in the ways that you want us to follow. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 24. It's in this chapter that Jesus is not that far from his arrest and betrayal, and he is... And has just foretold the destruction of the temple. And that happens in verses 1 and 2 in Matthew 24. And then in verse 3, the disciples ask Jesus some questions. And in verse 4, he begins to answer those questions that they asked. And one of the things that we'll see in this chapter is that Jesus gives his disciples events to observe and commands to obey. He gives them events to observe and commands to obey. And we'll think through those two categories together here. But in verse 3, Matthew records for us that as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? They're asking about the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And then in verse 4, Jesus begins to answer them. And he does so giving them events to observe and commands to obey. And the way this chapter breaks down, um, I believe verses 3 to 14 are instructions for believers in how we live and what we observe and what that looks like before the seven-year period that is typically called the Great Tribulation. And I think Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 begins to discuss that. Now, I I do want to just recognize and note that even within our own fellowship, there probably is going to be some slight shades of 
of, of thought and perhaps even some charitable disagreement about that aspect of details. And, and that's fine. Some will say that verses 3 to 14 deal with the tribulation all the way on down and that this whole chapter begins there. And, and if that's true, it doesn't change how you and I engage today. Because if the disciples are commanded to do something during the greatest of, uh, of the worst, if you will, then the exact same thing should be true for us. It, perhaps we can just take heart that it might be a little easier for us since it's not as bad. Um, but nevertheless, I think verses 3 to 14 give us some instructions about that, that moment, that there are those moments historically, and, and maybe in the future, we don't know, that are going to lead up to the rapture of the church. I think in verse 15, you then have some descriptions of what takes place during this great tribulation, finally culminating with the return of Christ and the millennial kingdom and all of those things. And so Jesus gives them events to observe and commands to obey. And regardless of where we place this on the historical timescale, we can take away the exact same observations and commands to obey. But it's in the beginning of verse 4 that Jesus answers them. And he answers them by first telling them that there will be increased spiritual deception. There will be an increase in spiritual deception. And then secondly, he indicates that there will be an increase in fracturing. And we'll think about the ways that fracturing is going to work itself out. But in verse 4, he touches on this spiritual deception. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. The first thing that Jesus tells his disciples, and by extension us, to observe is that there will be an increase in spiritual deception. There will be an increase of those claiming to be Christ. There will be an increase in the leading away from the truth by the many that come. Jesus begins by telling them to to not be surprised. And the very fact that he says these are events to observe should lead us to conclude that surprise is not the response we should have. So as we, even in our lifetime, see an increase in spiritual deception, we shouldn't respond with surprise. Because this is exactly what Jesus has said is going to happen. And, And I think we can only expect for it to increase as we get closer and closer to his return. Whether that's tonight Next year, 10 years, regardless of when it is, we should expect that to increase. Jesus gives them first the realization that spiritual deception is going to increase. And then he says there's going to be an increase in fracturing. What do I mean by that? Jesus gives and walks through four different aspects of fracturing. He touches on political He touches on natural, he touches on relational, and then he touches on what I'm going to call cultural and societal. And in verses 6 and 7, hitting on the first two of those, political and natural, Jesus says this, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. There in verses 6 and 7, Jesus touches on the increase in fracturing that's going to happen. In verses 4 and 5, he touched on an increase in spiritual deception. Here he begins to talk about an increase in fracturing. And he says, look, political fracturing is going to increase. You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be geopolitical fracturing that will increase. But he also said there's going to be natural fracturing that's going to increase. Now, whether the famines are the result of the geopolitical fracturing or whether they're the result of a natural fracturing where things may just not grow as good as they once might have, we're not 100% sure. And in some ways, that doesn't really matter. There's an increase in fracturing. Countries are going to go to war. There's going to be rumors of war. There's going to be people that are hungry. There's going to be earthquakes. Generally speaking, those aren't man-made. Although there was a football game a few years ago where the cheering had some Richter scale activity. But he says, look, there's going to be an increase in fracturing that takes place. It's going to be political. It's going to be natural. And these are the beginning of the birth pains. Paul picks up on that language in Romans 8 and talks about how all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. That there's this, 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 this futility that exists in the created order. That it wasn't designed to be this way. You and I groan under the weight of that, and, and it's the result of sin. It's the result of the fall. It's going to be fully and finally taken care of one day, and we have the first fruits of that, the guarantee, the Holy Spirit that guarantees that Jesus is going to make good on his word. But our achy joints and the need for eyeglasses and hearing aids and surgery and all of those things where our bodies just break down, or don't function the way they should. It's part of the natural fracturing. And here Jesus says there's going to be an increase in natural fracturing. Famines are going to come. Earthquakes are going to come. There's birth pains. These are birth pains. But then he continues and he talks about relational fracturing and then cultural and societal fracturing. And in verse 9 he says this, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There's an indication there that there will be increased persecution for those that love Jesus and are willing to say they love Jesus. But here's where the relational part comes in. Look at the next part of that verse. And many will fall away and betray one another. And hate one another. I don't think that's just a general mankind's going to be a little less pleased with itself description. I think what Jesus is saying is that there will be people who had once claimed to love and follow Jesus that will be willing to turn their backs on those they had attended church with. They will betray them. 
they will, by their betrayal, not express love as they had been commanded by Jesus to express, but rather hatred. And that will be a part of the increase of tribulation and persecution. There will be a relational fracturing that takes place. It's part of what Jesus tells us we should observe. Now, whether that's true today or whether it will become more increasingly true is part of the observations that we make. But lastly, Jesus says there will be a societal or cultural fracturing that takes place. And here in verses 11 and 12, he says, And many false prophets will arise and will lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, the reason I place this in cultural and societal fracturing is, is, is this. If you look across the landscape of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament where false prophets and false teachers are, are talked about, a defining characteristic of those false prophets and false teachers is the teaching that God's okay with whatever you want to do. You want to live that kind of lifestyle? God's okay. You want to make those kind of choices? God's okay. God loves you no matter what you do, so you just go and do whatever you want to do because he is okay with it. That was true in the Old Testament. It is true in the descriptions of false prophets in the New Testament. And what that does is that leads to greater and greater lawlessness. Not necessarily I broke the speed limit lawlessness, but rather I'm walking in defiance to God lawlessness. And the result of that is the love of many will grow cold. These are bleak descriptions. Jesus says these are events to observe. But more than the events to observe, I want us to see the hope that Jesus gives and then the commands he says to follow. And verses 13 and 14 give us the hope. There's comfort in the midst of the hard. But the one who endures to the end, the one who doesn't betray his his brother, the one who doesn't turn over and hate with malice his sister and, and, and turn them over to authorities to have persecution upon them and be put to death for following Christ, they will endure and be saved. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, verses 13 and 14 tell us, like, look, look, Jesus wins. That's what, that's what verses 13 and 14 tell us. Jesus wins, and those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus and are willing to count the, cro- the cost and follow him, to take up their cross and follow him, to acknowledge that the world's going to hate them because they hated him and follow him anyways, those are the ones that will persevere. Those are the ones that, as they hold fast, will be held fast, will not be sma- snatched out of the Father's hand. And you know what? The, Jesus wins. The good news of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed throughout all the world as a testimony to the nations. And so he says, look guys, so there's, it, there's events to observe. But I don't want you to forget who wins. 
I win. And those who place their faith and trust in me will be saved. Now, I want to cycle back through those verses because I want to hit on the commands that Jesus gives them and by extension us to follow. Oftentimes, when we think about the end times and when we think about these things, I, I, I think the predominant focus gets placed on interpreting current world events as end times events. And, and then the conclusion that's made is, well, you see, this happened there and that means this. And so that eventually leads us to predicting. And as I'm standing here today... Every person that's ever predicted the return of Christ has been wrong. I don't think Jesus intends for us to predict. He gives us some things to observe. But the commands he gives to obey are incredibly important. So let's cycle back through these verses. And you're going to see in verse 4 the first command that emerges. In light of the increased spiritual deception. In light of the increased fracturing, and in the midst of it, Jesus gives commands to obey. And in verse 24, or verse 4 of chapter 24, Jesus says, See that no one leads you astray. The command there, the verb there for you and I to follow and obey is to see. And that word see means watch out. It means beware. And it's a word that it says and, and should focus our attention to there's danger out there. And the, the danger is given to us. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. There will be increased spiritual deception. The danger is external. And so watch out. Watch out for those who want to come in my name and claim to be me and lead many astray by their diverse and false teachings. John has some similar things to say in 1 John chapter 4. So watch out. Beware. There's external danger. In verse 6, we're given the second command. Jesus says this, See that you are not alarmed. That word see in our English Bibles looks like the exact same word, but it's actually different as Matthew quotes Jesus. This word see means to pay close attention to, concern yourself with. And he says, see that you're not alarmed. And the focus shifts from external danger to internal danger. In verse 4, the the danger was outside. See that you're not led astray by those who would want to lead you astray. In verse 6, the danger is internal. See that you're not alarmed. See that you're not disturbed. See that you're not frightened or fearful or unsettled. I think Jesus is saying, don't let yourself be alarmed by what you read and observe and hear on the news or see in Facebook or catch headlines of. And then he provides the explanation. This must take place. But the end is not 
Yeah, see, Jesus acknowledges that. <laughs> hey, don't be surprised. Like, this has to happen. Watch out for the external danger. Watch out and be closely attuned to the internal danger of fear and being frightened and alarmed and disturbed. I, I think about it in this way. When I'm, I'm working with my boys to help them ride their bikes and we, we get to a decline, I, I, I grab them and I, all right, all right, buddy, hey, as you, as you ride down the hill, you're going to pick up speed. You need to be aware of that. Like, gravity's real. It's going to take you faster than you thought you were going to go. And what you need to do in that moment, son, is not kick your feet off your pedals, but get ready to engage those little brakes you have as you pedal backwards. I try to prepare my boys for what is coming so that they know in advance that there is the potential to be afraid as their bike picks up pace and starts going down the hill. But my goal is, by preparing them ahead of time, I have the opportunity to help them in advance prepare their hearts, their emotions, their reactions so that they're ready. I think similarly that's what Jesus is doing here. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to live with fear and fright and alarm. These things have to happen. (laughs) This must take place. Don't be surprised. And in the midst of increased fracturing, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I want to try to help us uh, understand a little bit more practically what this might look like in our daily lives together. What do we do, perhaps, is the question. And I'm glad you asked. I've got some thoughts for you. The first is, we, we walk in truth. And we do everything we can to be known as truth-tellers. Now, how do we do that? Here's how I think we do that. We think biblically. First and foremost, I want to be known as somebody who thinks biblically. I want to be known as somebody who is a follower of Jesus, not an American. I'm glad to be an American. But that's not my first priority. My first priority is to be known as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, not an American. So I want to think biblically before I think like an American. That's where we begin in regards of walking in truth and being known as those who are truth tellers. Secondly, I think we need to read widely. And I'll say this, especially Viewpoints or perspectives that you might not naturally agree with. We have expressions in our culture to refer to some of this, and they are, don't bury your head in the sand. And the the idea is, don't, don't ignore a perspective that you just have no time for. 
engage it. Don't bury your head in the sand. There's another one. Don't put yourself in an echo chamber. The idea there is don't just surround yourself with those who are saying the exact same things as you because then you end up just finding that everybody's saying the same thing and you all end up agreeing with each other because that's the only viewpoint that you're engaging with. Don't just put yourself in an echo chamber. We have another one. Don't pigeonhole arguments. That's where you try to reduce an argument down to some, some way that might summarize it to where you can just rightly, very quickly reject it. Now, I think, I think if we're going to think biblically first, we secondly read widely. Because we want to be known as those who walk in truth. And, and that's certainly biblical truth. But it's also just w- what is true. And we might have to consult four or five different sources to find truth. And we might have to filter through some of the, the biases and interpretive lenses that get placed over truth as it's communicated to us in whatever and through whatever means it's communicated. We need to be those who read widely. Thirdly, we vet thoroughly. We vet thoroughly. I hardly ever take for face value any article I see show up on Facebook or on the news. I'm always checking secondary sources. I want to know if, it's, if, it, if, if that nugget of truth that that article is wanting me to engage in is reported elsewhere. Because I want to vet thoroughly. Now, one of the interesting ways that this gets played out is that, there, unfortunately, unfortunately and, and I mean it, unfortunately, there are Christian satire websites that often, or at least sometimes, get confused as being news sites. And just a couple weeks ago, I had a gentleman who is a, an incredibly educated man, published author, doctor, Asked me, hey, did you hear that in Kentucky, if you go to church, you have to wear a yellow cross on your lapel? And that, that's just crazy talk, because that sounds a lot like the, what was happening in Germany back before the Second World War, and I, I can't believe this is happening. And I said, wow, yeah, that's tremendously unsettling. And it, it would be. Well, vet thoroughly. And I was... Uh, wrapped up that conversation with that man and and just started checking sources. And that information was first communicated by a Christian satire website. It was hyperbole. They, they took a nugget of truth and they ran with it to its extreme to provide more humor than anything. And yet, this gentleman thought it was real. We need to think biblically. We need to read widely. We need to vet thoroughly. We need to process these things in community with other godly men and women. We need safe places to ask questions and to wrestle through things. And that's not out in public, it's in community with trusted friends, mature, godly believers, advisors, mentors, disciplers. 
Lastly, if we're going to walk in truth and be known as truth tellers, I think we have to share slowly. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. We probably could put a modern layer of translation to that. Be slow to tweet, slow to Instagram, slow to Facebook, slow to Snapchat, slow to fill in the blank. So we need to be known as truth tellers and those who walk in truth. Jesus says this, like, don't be led astray. There's external danger. Don't be led astray. He says, pay close attention to the internal danger. Because the internal danger, fear and fright and alarm and all of those things can lead us to not walk in truth. We need to think biblically, read widely, vet thoroughly, process in community with godly believers and share slowly. There's a second way I think this applies. We need to engage in God-glorifying ways. Our nation has laws and a constitution that allows you and I to engage what's happening in it in ways that other places of the world have no conception of. And that's a gift it, it's, it's actually quite rare on the landscape of humanity. I mean, the citizens in Rome and Philippi and Corinth that were Roman colonies, Corinth and Philippi being Roman colonies, like they didn't get a vote. They didn't get a say. They were, to, they were told, you declare Caesar as Lord or lose your life. That, it's different for us. There's a gift that we've been given there that we, we cannot waste. We have to engage in God-glorifying ways. And I would say this, just kind of moving through this idea. We engage in ways that exalt Jesus and do not hinder mission. Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here's how I apply that verse. If that idea that comes into my mind to, oh, I should share this, or I should post this, or I should tweet this, or I need to, to, to distribute this. If doing so is going to hinder my opportunities to have a gospel conversation with someone, I'm not going to share. Because I want to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I want my speech to be gracious and seasoned with salt so that I may know how to answer each person. Paul here is talking about the sharing of the gospel. We need to engage this. The 2020 election cycle, the the reporting and, and, and all of the information that seems to be abounding about the coronavirus right now, we have to engage all of that in ways that exalt Jesus and do not hinder 
mission. Because in the grand scheme of things, thinking back to that eternal perspective where we began this entire series, it's just not worth it. It's not worth surrendering my opportunity to tell you about Jesus so that I can share a post or tweet some satire. Well, in verses 42 to 44 of Matthew 24, Jesus gives the two other commands in this chapter that are for us. And we're just going to move fairly quickly through them. In verse 42, Jesus says, Stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Here the idea is not danger so much as it is expectation. I don't know if you remember back, being back to a little kid when somebody was going to come over and you just spent all the time in eager expectation, looking out that front window, wondering and waiting for when their car or their bike or whatever it was, was going to pull up. I think that's the idea here. Stay awake. The idea to stay awake is to be watchful. It's to be ready. It's to be vigilant. And this isn't like twirl your thumbs and look at the sky and just kind of waste your days looking up, waiting for Jesus to come and appear in the clouds and catch you up to himself. This is, no, be, be watchful, be vigilant, be active. And this flows right into the command in verse 44 as well. Therefore, you must be ready. Therefore, you must be ready. And the idea there of ready is prepared. See, the command to be ready happens first by placing our faith and trust in Jesus so that when he does return, it's a joyous one of consummation, not a devastating one of judgment. And this command, like the one before, to stay awake and to be vigilant, reminds us to be prepared to give an account to the Master of how we invested and managed what He had given us to steward. See, Jesus says, look, I, I, want you, I, I don't want you to fall asleep on the job. So stay awake. Be vigilant. And I want you to be prepared that when I return, you are ready to give an account of how you took the resources and the time and the talents that I gave you and you invested them for my glory and for mission. Stay awake and be prepared. And so in light of all that is going on, in light of all of the conspiracy theories that abound, in light of good, well-intentioned people wondering aloud, is, is this like the end? Are we moving quickly in that direction? I mean, the truth is we, we are moving in that direction. We don't know how fast we're moving in that direction. But Jesus could come tonight. He could come right now. If he comes right now, quite frankly, you're not going to see the video because Josh is going to be gone and we're not going to get this thing uploaded. But 
while we wait, he says, beware of external danger. Beware of internal danger. Don't fall asleep on the job. And be prepared to give the master an account of how you stewarded these resources and the time and the talent and the treasure that he's entrusted to you. I began today with a list of several things I've observed over the last six weeks that are troubling. I want to end with a list of several things that I think absolutely fit and fulfill what Jesus has commanded us to do. Over the last six weeks, I've watched people in our church and elsewhere put in hundreds of hours of work as the local church has had to very quickly shift to online. The church is not closed. Now the government for at least this week has told us we're not allowed to be at 250 Philadelphia Avenue altogether on a Sunday morning. But the church is not a building, it's a body. She has not been shut down. The gates of hell and what happens in Harrisburg or what takes place at any capital anywhere is not going to hinder or shutter the church of Jesus Christ. And I have watched people put in hundreds of hours of time to make that pivot. I've heard of women in our community and in our church requesting to spend time praying together. I've watched our giving as a church not just be okay, but exceed what's needed. And what that has done, that's, that's allowed me and other individuals to be part of meetings where the questions that we're asking ourselves is how can we love and serve our community even more? You, Waynesboro Grace, have put your leaders in a position where we've not once had to ask ourselves, how do we circle the wagons? How do we figure out where to make strategic cuts or reductions? No, we're asking the question, how do we take what God has given us and go love and serve more people? I'd like to think that's because we're trying to be prepared. I've been asked by people in our church if there's ways that we can practically care and love on missionaries or other believers around the world. And we're not exactly sure what all that looks like yet. Still trying to find out some information of what that might look like. But how cool would that be if Waynesboro Grace is able to send something somewhere to someone that meets a practical need that they would have? And the very fact that during a global pandemic, that is a question on our minds is tremendous. Because I think it's an expression of being watchful and prepared. And I know single mothers with little or no income, both in our church and our community, 
are being loved on in some tremendous, tremendous ways. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means. But I think it is a reflection of where I see us living out what Jesus has told us to do. And I just want to say, let, let's do it even more. Let's be even more impassioned for those things. Yeah, there's going to be conspiracy theories that arise. There's going to be political drama that, that comes about, and it's going to increase we're going to have to figure out what this economy looks like and what society is like when this thing's done. But what if we were known as people that loved and served and we watched out for external danger, but we didn't let ourselves get crippled by fear and fright and alarm that comes from the inside? And rather than being handcuffed by those things, we continue to just try to figure out how to love and serve people. Jesus could come back right now. Come rapture his church right now. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we, are we vigilant? In the midst of turmoil and calamity, he gives us events to observe, but he gives us commands to obey. Let's keep doing it, Grace. Let's keep pouring gas on that fire. Keep exalting him with our actions and our love and service to one another. Let's pray. God, would you help us to do that? to do it in increasing measure. That we would love you so much that we'd be willing to, to personally sacrifice for others. God, help us to have the wisdom to, to know where and how to engage in, in our world and in our community both to love and serve people, but also uh, just even in, in, in the debate that, that rages. And, and those conversations are worth having, but we want to we do it in the right way. We want to do it in the right time. We want to do it in ways that don't hinder mission, that don't compromise our ability to have a gospel witness with somebody. God, help us to be alert for external danger. And equally alert for internal danger. God, you've given us events to observe. But more than that, you've given us commands to obey. Help us to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.